Daniel, and welcome to By the Waters of Babylon, a podcast dedicated to discussion of Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Today I would like to discuss the issue of critical theory, but first, I'd like to ask you to go over to Apple Podcasts, and if you enjoy the podcast, leave a five-star rating and a review. That helps to spread the word and let others know about the podcast. The issue of critical theory has become a hot-button issue for evangelicals over the past couple of years, really as a subset of a broader national controversy. There have been others who have helpfully addressed the problems with critical theory from a biblical standpoint at length, but I've noticed a number of people asking for a simple explanation of the issue. What is critical theory, and how should we think about it based on biblical truth? And so I'd like to spend a few moments providing a succinct description and biblical evaluation of critical theory by addressing a couple of questions. First, may Christians use systems of thought that do not come from Scripture? Second, what exactly is critical theory? Third, is critical theory compatible with Scripture? And then fourth, does critical theory help to resolve racism? So first, a core question in this debate that comes up over and over again is whether Christians may use systems of thought or theories or ideas that don't come from Scripture as tools to help us evaluate what's happening in society. In my opinion, some critics of critical theory have been incorrect to claim that Christians may never use any ideas that come outside from Scripture. Critical theory doesn't come from Scripture, and so they argue that we may not use it because it doesn't come from Scripture. The problem is that this is simply not true. Christians have always been willing to use ideas outside Scripture, but only as long as those ideas are consistent with biblical truth. So the question is not really whether critical theory comes from Scripture. It doesn't. But neither does calculus or free market economics, or microbiology. The more critical question is whether critical theory is consistent with biblical truth. That's the question we need to ask as Christians. And so let's define what critical theory is. I think a central issue causing confusion and misrepresentation in this discussion is lack of clarity in defining terms. So let me provide a very simple definition of critical theory. Critical theory analyzes all aspects of society through the lenses of structures such as race, class, and power, divides groups into categories then of oppressors and oppressed, and proposes methods for pulling down oppressors and liberating oppressed. Critical theory, in short, assumes that everything that happens in society— including successes and failures, results from oppression between groups divided by race, class, and power. By definition, according to critical theory, whiteness, wealth, and power inherently oppress non-white, poor, and weak. And so, in order to resolve injustice within society, poor, weak, non-whites must be elevated— while rich, powerful whites must be pulled down. So the question for evangelical Christians then becomes this. Is critical theory consistent 
with biblical truth. Christian advocates of critical theory argue that it is a helpful analytical tool because since racism is inherently unbiblical, and by the way, it absolutely is, critical theory, they say, can help us uncover systemic racism that is buried deep within societal structures and otherwise difficult to recognize. Critical theory, they argue, can help us to eliminate racism by elevating the oppressed and putting down the oppressors and thereby enabling the oppressed to flourish. But here's the problem with this particular line of defense. It's actually circular reasoning. In other words, it already assumes the conclusions of critical theory in defending critical theory. This defense of critical theory is based on the assumption that whiteness, wealth, and power are inherently oppressive, and poverty and weakness, especially for non-whites, is by definition the result of racism buried deep within society. The very perceived problems advocates of critical theory are trying to address are already the result of applying the theory. And so that can't be a defense of the theory. You have to argue for the theory first before you can assume the conclusions of the theory. This is why we must step back and evaluate the underlying assumptions of critical theory first compared with scripture before we begin to use it or apply it. And so let's assess these assumptions based on a few core biblical truths. Here's the first biblical principle against which we need to evaluate critical theory. According to scripture, morality is based on God's law. Put simply, critical theory assesses goodness or badness based on race, class, and power. But the Bible, in contrast, assesses goodness or badness based on conformity of actions to God and his moral law. Deuteronomy 6.25 says, And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Morality is based on the commandments of God and our conformity to them. Jesus Christ reaffirmed this truth when he said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. A very simple assessment of morality based on the commandments of God. Of course, according to scripture, no one can perfectly obey God's law, no, not one. Which is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation from God's just wrath against sin. But this very fact about the universality of human depravity presents an important problem for critical theory. Sin involves any action that disobeys the law of God and has nothing to do with race, class, or power. All people, white and non-white, wealthy and poor, powerful and weak, all people can and do sin. And all people have the potential to act righteously through the regenerating and sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. According to scripture, good and evil have nothing to do with race, class, or power. Good and evil are determined by individual actions of moral human agents. And so, critical theory is not a helpful tool for evaluating society because it defines morality on the basis of categorizations inconsistent with biblical teaching. 
But here's a second biblical problem with critical theory. Because critical theory evaluates society through the categories of race, class, and power, the theory depends upon dividing people into those groups and emphasizing their differences. But contrary to critical theory, Scripture demands colorblindness, along with class blindness and power blindness. Scripture demands that we not evaluate people on the basis of color, class, or power. According to Scripture, all people are created in God's image and should be treated with equal dignity. All people should be judged equally by the law. If someone who is wealthy oppresses the poor, he should be condemned. Proverbs 22.16 says, Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. But just because someone is poor or has been oppressed does not mean he should be treated differently or better than someone who is wealthy or otherwise privileged. Leviticus 19.15 makes this point explicit when it says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Again, all are equal before the law. The Bible teaches that wealth, power, weakness, poverty, all of these various statuses and conditions of life are the result of two factors. First, the sovereignty of God. 1 Samuel 2.7 says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. Sometimes our condition in this world is simply due to the sovereignty of God. But second, biblically, these conditions of life are due to individual choice. Proverbs 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And so conditions in life are due either to the sovereignty of God or to individual choice, often a combination of the two. And certainly some people are poor due to unjust and oppressive acts committed against them. That's certainly true. But the biblical solution when that happens has nothing to do with tearing down wealth or power, but with judging right and wrong actions. Wealthy or powerful people are never condemned in Scripture for their wealth or power, but for their actions. Proverbs 28.16 says, A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. And so if someone who is powerful or wealthy oppresses somebody who is weak or poor, then absolutely that person should be judged according to the law, but not because of his wealth or power, but because of his sinful action. Scripture condemns unrighteous, wealthy, and powerful people, but Scripture also condemns unrighteous, poor people with just as much vigor as unrighteous, rich people. Proverbs 28.3 says, A poor man who oppresses the poor is a beating rain that leaves no food. And so the issue is, again, conformity to God's law, not one's condition in life. The matter of race is even more clear. I've been using this commonly used term race to designate what the Bible more accurately calls ethnicity, common ancestry. 
Really, scripture teaches that there is only one race, the human race. Genesis 3.20 says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. There is only one race. Multiple ethnicities exist, but as with class or power, ethnicity is determined simply by the sovereignty of God. This is clear in Acts 17.26, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. You see, the whole notion of racial distinctions based on genetic or physical distinctiveness is unbiblical. It comes from Darwinian evolutionary theories. Scripture does not divide people by genetic or physical distinctiveness. Scripture does have the category of ethnicity, which biblically refers to various people groups unified by geography or politics or heritage or culture. Perhaps one of the clearest examples of this is Revelation 7-9, which says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, indicating various ethnicities. So there's one human race, and there are many ethnicities, But the problem is that many evangelicals have also adopted the common practice of equating ethnicity and culture, which is also invalid biblically. Again, ethnicity refers to people united by common ancestry. The Bible is clear that God desires to save people from every ethnicity, and indeed he will. And therefore, we Christians have the responsibility to spread the gospel to people from every ethnicity. Ethnicities are ordained by God. All ethnicities are equally good and valuable. People from every ethnicity are all united into one body in the church by Jesus Christ through faith in his sacrificial atonement. And one day redeemed people from every ethnicity, as I just read in Revelation 7, people from every ethnicity will surround the throne of God and worship to him. But culture, on the other hand, does not refer to people per se. Culture refers to how people behave. Culture describes the collected behavior of a group of people that flows from their collective beliefs and values. But since culture is human behavior, and since all cultural behavior flows from values and beliefs, not all culture is equally good. Some cultural behaviors are reflections of values consistent with God's will and his word, but other cultural behaviors flow from values hostile to God and his will. So all ethnicities are equally good and valuable, but not all behavior is equally good and valuable. All behavior must be judged again according to the law of God. But here's the problem. Secular racists, like white supremacists, and secular leftists, like multiculturalists, both perpetuate confusion over race, ethnicity, and culture. Make no mistake, white supremacy is horrendously sinful. White supremacy is contrary to biblical Christianity, both by reason of creation and by reason of redemption. 
As I mentioned earlier, all people, regardless of birthplace, ancestry, genetics, or skin color, all people are created in God's image, and all people are of equal value in God's sight. All people have been equally affected by sin and depravity, and redemption from sin is possible for anyone who repents of sin and trusts in Christ alone for salvation. In Christ, there is no separation based on ethnicity or gender or social status. All are one in him. To claim that one particular quote-unquote racial stock is superior to another, or that only one quote-unquote race is able to sustain good culture, is contrary to the created order and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me say again unequivocally, white supremacy is horrendously sinful and unbiblical. That said, the biblical answer to combating terrible thinking such as is represented in white supremacy is not multiculturalism. Multiculturalism is not the answer because it suffers from the same essential fallacy as white supremacy. Namely, that ethnicity and culture are equivalent categories. They are not. Again, white supremacy argues that ethnicity and culture are inherently linked. But multiculturalism suffers from the same problem. Multiculturalism also argues that ethnicity and culture are inherently connected. Instead, biblically speaking, we should, as Christians, insist on two complementary ideas. One, all people are equally valuable All people have equal capacity for good and evil. But then number two, we must judge some behaviors as good and others as evil based on the law of God and seek to sustain and nourish systems of behavior, that is cultures, that are inherently good. Only when we make these kinds of careful distinctions can we hope to combat the sin of racism and encourage ways of living that best sustain human flourishing. This then leads to another problem with critical theory, and that is where one finds ultimate identity, especially a Christian. Secular intersectionality, which is part of critical theory, argues that true identity is found in the intersection of one's racial, ethnic, cultural, sexual, economic, and social status, each of these already defined unbiblically. The problem with this idea is that while each person's perspective is certainly impacted by his or her background and experiences and personal values, These never bind a person, and a Christian's ultimate identity must always be found in his or her relationship to Christ, not any of these secular categories. Unity in the church, for example, is rooted in a Christian's identity in Christ, not in how well a church caters to particular intersectional identity. Christians are a new ethnicity united by shared values, shared beliefs, and shared behaviors that have little to do with old ethnic divisions. And this then leads to my final criticism of critical theory. Critical theory actually fuels division rather than unity. Critical theory teaches that in order to elevate the oppressed, we must highlight the ethnic, economic, and social distinctions, elevating non-white, poor, and weak, and tearing down white, wealthy, and powerful. 
But based on biblical truth, the way to promote harmony is to emphasize what we have in common as human beings. The way to resolve racial division is to emphasize the unity of the human race. The way to solve poverty is to emphasize that there is nothing fundamentally different between a wealthy person and a poor person. The way to resolve tensions between the powerful and the weak is to promote righteous living by both. And even more importantly, the Bible is clear that for the New Testament church, the path to unity is to emphasize what we have in common in Christ— not differences in ethnicity, economic status, or positions of power. In the church, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.28 says. Our identity as Christians is in Christ alone, not in our ethnic heritage, economic class, or position in society. We are one body, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.13 What pains me most about critical theory is that its fundamental assumptions depend upon emphasizing differences over unity. Tensions are certainly on the rise in our society and within evangelicalism. Critical theory only exacerbates division. If racism exists, and it does, critical theory and scripture propose opposing solutions. Critical theory tries to solve racism by emphasizing differences, while scripture solves racism by emphasizing unity. The problem with critical theory is not that it is extra-biblical. Plenty of extra-biblical ideas are consistent with biblical principles and are helpful as tools for life. The problem with critical theory is that it is anti-biblical. It promotes interpreting the realities of life through categories and lenses that are contrary to what the Bible teaches and actually fuel division rather than encourage harmony. Thank you for listening to By the Waters of Babylon. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or other podcasting services. And if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating and share the podcast on social media. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash scottannual. I blog at religiousaffections.org. And for articles, audio, and speaking itinerary, visit scottannual.com. Join me next time as we discuss issues related to Christianity in a post-Christian culture.